2: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mayner. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: Hello, MD Nation. Welcome into the show. We are back, baby. The MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presents to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with my partner of the day, Mr. Christopher Dowhauer. Chris, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Beautiful afternoon today and get to talk some football. Excited.
1: Gorgeous. Finally. I mean, I thought winter was never going to end.
0: <laughs> I know. It's about time, right? The
1: claws were just holding on for dear life. But finally, here on the East Coast, it's 75 degrees, and it feels like a beautiful spring day, and we have beautiful football things to talk about today as well. We are continuing our NFL Draft recap, fantasy analysis, and overall NFL Draft grades. We're going to be talking about the Broncos, the Eagles, the Bears. The Cowboys, the Chargers, the Vikings, the Patriots, the Cardinals—all in today's show for you guys. Unfortunately, though, we had some news kind of kick off about ten minutes ago. Antonio Brown being sued for assault and battery. Now, to be clear here, this is not a new case. This is an extension of a criminal case that was already settled. That he wound up, you know, not getting any criminal charges for us, so and now he's being sued for us. So this is not something new. This isn't something the Bucks were not already aware of. So, if you are looking at what is Antonio Brown's value, especially from dynasty standpoint, if you have him on your team, you know, are you going to have him? It doesn't sound like this is something that is going to affect his playing ability with the Buccaneers. From all standpoint, from all considerations, that there's nothing new. That has happened with Antonio Brown since, you know, the last batch of incidents, but still not out of the legal troubles yet. Chris, are you concerned at all?
0: I mean, I'm a little concerned depending on how far back they can kind of push the court cases. You always have that concern that if it becomes something that hits the court, you know, will it affect his practice habits, will affect his game time playing. Um, So I, I do have some slight concerns, but I do think that hopefully this kind of gets resolved before the season begins.
1: Hopefully it does. Either way, we would not expect any sort of suspension. But again, this is something that's already been ongoing. So nothing really to worry about there. So I just wanted to get that out of the way because that was already big news this morning. We had the NFL schedule come out on Wednesday. Uh, We'll debate if we do some work on... I mean, of course, we'll talk about that as we get through. But we might do a special episode just on that. We'll see either between this one or the Belly Fantasy Live show on Tuesday nights at 8.30. The thing is... A lot of people like to do these NFL schedule release videos right away, release episodes. The reason I don't necessarily jump on that all the time is because schedule, at the end of the day, you don't know exactly what your matchups are going to be until we get into the season. Defenses are so drastically different from year to year, even, frankly, from beginning to end of season. So that's why I don't like to get carried away with the NFL schedule. It's something to kind of look at. But, Chris, when you are drafting your redraft team, especially, because that's what affects more than anything else. Dynasty-wise, schedule means nothing. So redraft league, is there any part of the schedule you are looking Are you looking at the playoff schedule? Or are you looking at the beginning of the schedule? Just to kind of get maybe there's a tiebreaker there between two players?
0: I think the key for me is I kind of look at the very beginning of the season, maybe the first two or three games. Kind of to what your point was, you really don't know what you're going to expect from year to year, um, but you kind of look for those cupcake matchup, matchups in the first two, three weeks because, you know, it's very really, really hard to kind of gauge how teams kind of start off. Um, so you're looking for somebody that maybe has, you know, a, a Cincinnati or Detroit on their lineup early on that you feel like, yeah, I feel strong with, you know, go against their defenses. Um, and then I look at the playoffs, not so much against the matchups, but to see kind of whether I'm going to deal with. Um, so I like to kind of see if, if there's going to be teams that are going to play with, in, in and possibly it's going to be a dome or possibly it's going to be a cold weather. Um, that kind of helps me play like things like kickers and things along those lines or running backs sometimes where it's a, if I really need a tiebreaker, I can kind of look at those things. But for the most part, to your point. This, you know, schedule, we really have no idea. You can sit there and pretend like you know every year, but you don't know who gets hurt. You don't know how teams are playing. So it does have a huge variety on how things are actually going to wind up turning out over the season.
1: It's why I always draft Atlanta's kicker, they right away from Matt Bryant to Young Hoku every single year. For the leagues, that actually still have kickers out there, but it is a factor from that sense. So, like, again, today's show, we're going to continue on with the NFL draft recap at the end of the show. We'll have a mailbag segment. We have some interesting poll questions. I want to spend a little bit more time on talking today than we normally do. uh, Just because some of the results I thought were kind of interesting based on that. But before we get into the minutia of the show, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor of the day, Symbol. Wall Street meets sports gambling in this innovative app. Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout when you lose. They, you don't lose any money. The value of your team's share is all that matters. And it's easy to use. Just download the symbol app on your play store. Use the promo code MDS fantasy for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul where the Sportsbook Edge is put back into your pockets as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download Symbol. And again, use the promo code MDSFANTASY for $10 off or $10 deposit on your next $10 bonus. So, Chris, let's get into it right away. The first team that we're going to be talking about is the Denver Broncos. They had the ninth pick overall. They were interesting there with Patrick Chetan. From a fantasy standpoint, we're going to spend some time talking about Javante Williams for sure, but give me a quick comment on them taking Patrick Sertan over, let's say, a Justin Fields at the pick nine when they were so linked to quarterback leading into the draft and one was actually available to them.
0: I mean, I think it's definitely a very interesting pick. They seem to be uh, fairly content with the Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater becoming their starter. I do like the Bridgewater move. I do think he fits the system, and he's he's with Pat Shermer before. But I do have some curiosity of how it unfolds for them. He um, did pass on a possible quote-unquote franchise quarterback. Fields would have fit their team very well as well. Um, I'm not a big Drew Lock fan, so I probably would have pulled the trigger on that deal, or maybe even try to trade down and get some, you know, more picks. Possibly, maybe add to the Chicago pick. Um, but I'm a little surprised they stood, you know, still took number nine and took Patrick Sertan. But I also think that they were pretty concerned about getting make sure they got a corner. Um, and they seem to understand that their teams were kind of jumping up and getting different guys, so they maybe were trying to stay in town to Dallas and get that corner.
1: I'm not going to fault them. One, like you said, they traded for Teddy Bridgewater. They didn't feel the need for quarterback as much. There's still, to this day, seems to be a lot of rumors around them still being a real possibility for Aaron Rodgers, depending on what happens in Green Bay. And they wound up pulling off that trade, then the Patrick Tamp pick looks really, really good because when you're in the AFC West— The number one team that you have to beat is the Kansas City Chiefs. You need guys who can cover to have any chance to do that. So that's why I don't really knock them for doing this with Patrick Sertan in that instance. And unlike Carolina, who we talked about in last week's show, if you want to go back and check it out on your favorite pod streaming apps or on your social media accounts at belly up MDF show to rewatch that video. We, they took J.C. Horn, who is not my top-rated corner at that point. So they, at least they took the top-rated corner there. This is a team that's very, very good in every aspect. The only question is going to come down to the quarterback. But let's talk about this team from a real fantasy perspective, and that's going to be the question on everybody's mind, and that's Javante Williams. And I'll bring up one of the polls that we did this week since it's kind of related here. Javante Williams or Melvin Gordon, which one has a better season in 2021? 72% voted for Javante Williams, who were 28% of Melvin Gordon. Now, do I agree that by the end of the year, it's more likely to be Javante Williams as the lead guy than not? Yes, I do. But that split, in my mind, was drastic and surprising because it's going to be a committee. It's going to be a pretty even split with these two. And because Melvin Gordon is the veteran running back in a Pat Shermer system, for at least the first two months, if not more, I would expect the workability, the productivity, the touches to favor Melvin Gordon a little bit more over Javante Williams. Barring injury, of course, with all that being said. So I was surprised to see that wide of a split. Who would I take? It depends on what my, t- my team is shaping up to be. Because now that you have both of these guys... You are in a situation where neither one of them could be being drafted that high, but this is what this is where the poll really really digs in for me. Another variable to it is why I find it interesting. That means, in my mind, when you get a gauge on the public of how they're feeling about a particular player, that he is going to get pushed up, and I would not be surprised if you're talking half point PPR 12 man leagues, which is usually what we base our rankings off of on this show, that he's going to get pushed up into the third round. That's going to be too high for a guy that I would not expect at any point in the season to ever get 70% of the workload. At most, it'll be 60%, and that won't be in the beginning of the year. It will be Melvin Gordon first until it's Javante Williams. That's how Pat Shermer works. He gives it to the veteran running back first, especially one that's evenly matched. And they have no reason not to use up Melvin Gordon because it's the last year he's going to be there. So I'm not going to go crazy over that, and because of that, I definitely won't be drafting Javante Williams because his ADP value is going to be too high for the workload. But Melvin Gordon, who now might drop like a rock if this plays out the way the public is talking about it, the way they think about it, he could actually wind up being of value in the 8th round or later. Because again, he'll be a flex play if he's seeing 50 plus percent of the work, which is a very good chance at least at the beginning of the year he will, and be somebody that maybe you flip because people are getting frustrated by the fact that Melvin Gordon isn't just disappearing, uh, give me your thoughts on the Paul Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, that whole situation.
0: I mean, I love Javante Williams, and I think he's going to be a stud. But I also think that you need to look at the coaching staff and kind of the tradition of what Denver's been doing the last couple of years, particularly last year. Uh, Melvin Gordon joined the backfield. How do you have Philip Lindsay, who was already a thousand yard rusher? Um, you already had you had Royce Freeman still in that backfield. And if you kind of watch that the season. Unless there was injuries to two of the three running backs, they pretty much consistently rotated two running backs. That was pretty much what their game plan was. They even talked about not being able to run the ball as much as they had hoped to last year because of kind of their struggles on offense and because their defense wasn't quite good. Um, I think this year you're going to see a reemphasis on the offensive, trying to run the ball, establish that. And I think Melvin Gordon's going to pay $8 million for not to sit on the bench. Um, So I do think it's going to be a pretty much 50-50 split. You might see that maybe shift to a 60-40 kind of as the season progresses. But I even be surprised if that necessarily happens. Melvin Gordon catch the ball. I think this is more of a, re- a reflection of people kind of being more about the hype of Javante Williams right now and then also have the hatred for Melvin Gordon for some reason. Um, but Javante Williams wasn't sole running back in North Carolina. He did split carries. Melvin Gordon's been traditionally split in carries for the last three or four years now. So I think that if you look at the kind of the pairing, there's no reason for the Denver Broncos to necessarily pick a, fe- a featured guy this year, and I don't think they necessarily will. Um, I think you're going to kind of see a rotation in series, and even how guys kind of match up. You might see even Melvin Gordon used more than third downs initially, maybe throughout the season, because he is a good pass protector, because he does catch the ball. Um, I don't think there's, you know, there's a guarantee that Jonathan Williams is going to be that stud back that you're looking for, even going to the playoffs.
1: No, agreed, and I there's been this emphasis over the past few years – I've noticed this, especially with rookie running backs, where, guys, so everyone has this mindset, like, oh, if it's a really good rookie running back, he's going to take over by the end of the year, and he's going to be the reason why I go on to win a championship. That could be the case. It's not like that hasn't happened. Of course, there's precedence for that. But to just bank on drafting a guy who, like, again, I would suspect that his ADP will be in the top three rounds, just to draft the guy on the hope that he's going to take over at the right time for you for your playoff run is quite frankly, very, very ballsy on your part as a fantasy football owner and to just take the regular season for granted. We talked about this, Chris, off air, that people seem to just take it, to just take for granted that they're going to make the playoffs. And all they need is that guy who's going to take them over the top. You play in some competitive leagues. I know we do. You can't just take for granted that you're definitely going to make the playoffs. So I'm not going to just build my team off of that, especially a high draft pick. When you draft a guy in the third round, this goes back, Every single year, I'm usually the guy who cautions you against a certain rookie. Now, some rookie running backs, like Najee Harris, for instance, will be drafting in the second round, feel completely great about that because we know he's going to get all the touches. But too many times you get these rookie running backs who are not in a position to take over the the bell cow work, especially not right away, and it's a question as to when that would happen, and they consistently get drafted in the third round or even higher. And when you have those those top three-round picks, that's the core of your team from start to beginning from start to start to end you cannot just take that for granted maybe it does work out but that is a lot of risk that you're putting on a key component of your lineup i mean am i wrong
0: no i mean absolutely i think that when you're going your first three rounds you pretty much want to guarantee these are your studs and you're looking at kind of how the board falls accordingly and if you're going to pass on, let's say michael thomas this year um in the third round because you want to jump on Jabonte williams that's going to be not just you know super guts, it might be stupid in the long run because you're, you're passing out a lot of times that talent might be pushed down the board where there's some guy that you thought may go in early, but now you're forcing yourself to take a guy that's there because you think he's going to be good in the playoff time. And like I said, you also need to look at the situation. Um, we, we saw different guys come in, and like Kareem Hunt came in and started for Kansas City right off the bat. But you see most cases, particularly if it's an established running back in the backfield already, getting paid $8 million it's not going to be where everybody thinks it's going to be, where it's just going to guys going to come in and automatically be crowned the starter and get, you know, 20 touches every game. Um, you're going to even have some games where you might be annoyed, but you see Royce Freeman out there sometimes over Javante Williams. And if you start off, 0 and two in your season, you know, that's how you miss the playoffs really easily, or you start panicking on your team. You lose games, regardless of when the season happens, you're, you, you can miss the playoffs. I mean, I know you talk about how competitive our playoffs can be. Usually it's that one or two games that kind of gets you in there or out of the playoffs. And if you're just sitting there like, oh, I don't care to begin the season, you start off 0-2, good luck kind of getting the playoffs. You might not make it. And then even if you have Javante Williams in the playoffs, there's no guarantee all of a sudden he's going to be the star for you.
1: Now, dynasty-wise, and I'll just we'll just mention this quickly, Javante Williams. I have him ahead of Travis Etienne. I'm not saying Travis Etienne's in a good situation. I'm not trying to take that away. But I still have Javante Williams ahead ahead of Travis Etienne. I think there's a purely based on this, I think there's a better chance maybe starting in 2022 or beyond that Javante Williams at some point, in his career will be the three down bell cow back. I do not think Travis Etienne will ever be that guy. I think there's always going to be somebody he's going to be splitting a significant amount of the carries with. And that's ultimately what it boils down to for me. Why I have Williams a spot ahead of him? Not to mention, I think he's on a better team with a coach that I trust more. I mean, we, we got to see what, what comes out of urban Meyer and Jacksonville and all that, but I trust Pat Shermer. When he has a featured back, that featured back will always be really good. So that's why I have Javante Williams one spot ahead of Travis Etienne on my dynasty rankings. Where do you sit there?
0: I mean, I think absolutely is a great point. I look at Etienne more like an Eckler type, where he's going to be productive, but you always kind of question whether they're going to allow him to be the guy in the red zone. Or are they going to utilize him in short yardage, where they can kind of take the pounding off him? We hear a lot about you know Urban Meyer already talking about using the third down back, which he both you know agrees probably Croc, but you do see the idea of this guy not necessarily going to be somebody who's going to be featured between the tackles. Um, so I do think he's always going to kind of split carries. And we look at Williams, he's built to basically be a bell cow eventually. Um, and I also think that you look at, you talked about Pat Shermer, Pat Shermer likes to utilize a running game and consistently with utilizing a running game. He doesn't get real cute about it. He doesn't use a bunch of jet sweeps or anything like that. We don't know what Urban Meyer is going to do. We're going to know if we're going to see the Ohio State slash Florida offense where you know, we see a bunch of gadget plays and guys are kind of stealing carries that way. So I'm kind of curious to see how it unfolds there, and I think there's pretty much money in the bank that Melvin Gordon's going to be last year in Denver this year. This will be Javante Williams' backfield to kind of move forward with. They did high spend a high second-round pick on him, and if he produces and is healthy, I see no reason why he won't be a stud moving forward.
1: Yeah, I agree with that completely. All right, so let's move off Javante Williams. I do want to talk about – there's two more picks from a fantasy perspective that the Broncos took we want to talk about a little bit. That's the next round, too, third round. I thought they got great value with Queen, uh, Queen, Quinn Venerez. Quinn? Benirez trying to talk here. Quinn Minieras, he gets to play He can play center or guard. They need interior help. I like this guy a lot. He just prorates out to be an offensive lineman who's going to be a very good starter for the next 10 years. It's Tough as they come. Great run blocker. Chris, what do you think Minieras is going to be for this Broncos offensive line? Is he a starter day one? Because I think he might be.
0: I mean, it's kind of curious to see what they're going to do with the tackle position with Jawan James out for this season. Will they kick one of the guards outside or presently in there? Um, I do think he has a clear-cut shot to be the starting center. If he does, they do decide to stick him at center. Um, and he's, got a, he's a big boy at center. And we yeah. kind of see how, um, you know, Ragonal has been excelling at the center position for Detroit. He's a very similar skill set in a lot of ways, maybe not quite as nasty and physical, but he does get a good push, a decent press protector. And I think that it does have some production for them where you can see Denver, especially when the weather starts getting colder, um, they're going to be able to get physical with teams. And teams are going to have a hard time trying to stop the one-two punch of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams at the middle.
1: Well, I was going to say, too, he, he reminds me a little bit of Alex Mack because even though he's not as nasty as now, he does have the athleticism at that size that you don't normally see. It's why I hope he plays center because he could be a really big difference maker. And when you have that kind of guy, especially you're talking about you know, red zone, goal line carries, who guys you can get to push in those big-time situations, he's great for guys like Javante Williams. So that was a great pick by them. The other fantasy pick that we'll talk about was Seth Williams. They took in the sixth round. This is a guy that I thought would be a nice little sleeper pick. When he sees the field, not really sure because he's going to a team that has a lot of good young receivers already that play the perimeter. I don't. I mean, I look at this. I don't even know exactly when he would be able to overtake Tim Patrick. So, from a dynasty perspective, which is the only way you're looking at this anyway, he's somebody that I wouldn't mind having on the taxi squad, but you're gonna have to probably have him there, and then maybe this is a guy in 2023, a couple of years away. We'll see how things shake out for him if he becomes something. But one of the bigger wide receivers that we're going late, that I think has an interesting skill set if he ever gets the opportunity. Uh, what do you think about Seth Williams on the Denver Broncos?
0: I'm I'm a little disappointed Seth Williams got drafted by the Broncos because I'm kind of with you. I thought he had some sleeper value. He's able to track the ball down the field. He's going to be a productive guy down the field. People kind of underestimate how he can get on top of people, and he's actually able to stretch the field. Um, but I do worry about his his usage. Basically, if you draft him, you're hoping that Cortland Sutton's is not re-signed by Denver. Because if he is right now, you still have Judy in front of him. You still have uh, you still talk about Patrick, but you're still going to have a lot of those guys invested. Like Pax Hamler. Uh, you still got Noah Fant. They haven't really used particularly that all that effectively yet. Um, so they have a lot of different weapons in place that you kind of feel like when you look at the team, where does he fall in the food chain? Is kind of lower on the totem pole. Now maybe he gets lucky like Patrick did, or you know Sean Hamilton did last year, where when there was so many injuries, you get a little stretch there where you look pretty good. Maybe you're productive. But overall, we looked at draft capital invested in Denver Broncos receiving core. He pretty much falls at the end of the totem pole. And if they re- re- bring out Sutton, I don't know if he's ever going to really see the field but if do anything.
1: Yeah, it's the one downfall by him getting drafted by Denver. Looking at the Denver Broncos draft overall, I was very impressed for most of it all the way through. Uh, the picks that we didn't talk about, they had a second, third round pick, Baron Browning, the linebacker. Then they go with Caden Stearns safety with their fifth round pick. They didn't have a fourth rounder. Uh, Jamar Johnson, I was that was a nice one that I liked quite a bit, the safety position. He's going to back up, learn behind Justin Simmons. thats They have some really crazy depth there with their second, fifth round pick. Carrie uh, Vincent Jr. was their seventh round pick, the cornerback. Jonathan Cooper, which I thought was an interesting seventh round pick and some nice value there defensive end and Marquise spencer defensive end with their third and final seventh round pick so chris give me your nfl draft grade for the denver broncos
0: i give the denver broncos a b plus um i think that overall they did a great job kind of addressing some of the key needs and making sure they had depth and key positions i i understand the kind of questioning of whether they should have took a quarterback or a Satan um and they you know they high side cobb full or they brought in darby but when you look how denver's kind of constituted after last year, I can't blame them. They were down to like their sixth corner, seventh corner they are throwing out there at some point. Yeah. So I can understand that having the idea like, hey, we can't get to that point again. And see so what you were talking about before, your key competition is Kansas City. So you have to be able to kind of match up with some of those guys out there. That's where these safeties are really going to help a lot of the ways. You have know, the three different safeties you can throw at a Travis Kelsey. You can play a lot of nickel and dime and be able to use uh, some of these guys by the line. Uh, Stearns. Stearns and Johnson in particular, I think, are steals. They both have great range. Um, it kind of makes the Justice Simmons signing a little bit more questionable now in a sense, because now you actually have guys who might be, be a little cheaper that you could have used that money somewhere else. But that defense, you're locked in that
1: contract now for a little while though. <laughs> they
0: are exactly. But you look at that defense overall, um, adding some key linebacker depth, I like Browning. They could be really, really good. Um, you're going to have Von Miller he's healthy back. You're going to have Chubb on the other side. You have ability to have good linebackers now and you're good. All three levels it's going to be one of the better defenses possibly in the NFL this year should be a so top they,
1: five defense it really it could should
0: be. be it could be and if that offense can be just productive enough that's going to be the key now I do think Bridgewater should be the starter I I kind of throw all this on the fact that he will be a starter for that B plus if he's not the starting quarterback then I drop the Denver grade because I feel like you cannot go with Drew lock with, with the system and way that you're set up right now um you' no team way they is made to, be that trade to of,
1: not start Teddy I mean there's there's just there's just absolutely no way
0: I think, I think that a lot of things that you're kind of still going to be seen where it could actually even be an A is I do think that there's a lot of link to him and Aaron Rodgers. I think that's pretty much if Aaron Rodgers is going to move on, it's going to be to Denver. And they pretty much set themselves up by not taking another quarterback. They made sure that they had that ability to kind of eat Aaron Rodgers' contract and be able to kind of you know put him out there versus wasting uh, a Jordan Love pick on a quarterback at number, ten, number nine there.
1: Yeah, exactly. B-plus is the correct answer. It's not an A because everything is still contingent on what happens at the quarterback position by the time we get to week one. If it's Teddy Bridgewater, it's a B-plus. They got good value all the way around. It was a good, solid draft, but that is going to be the question moving forward. Let's get into the Philadelphia Eagles, and I love that their first-round pick right away is going to be Great for fantasy purposes, Devonta Smith there at the wide receiver position. They trade up to the 10th pick. We had another poll talking about Devonta Smith. We're going to save that for later on the show, though, because it talks about a few different wide receivers and some takes that I want to have on that Devonta Smith, we talked about all offseason long. We weren't as, we didn't have him as high on our boards, I should say, as most did. Not because we hate Devonta Smith, not because we didn't think he's a really good player, but just because we didn't think he was better than Waddle. Definitely didn't think he was better than Jamar Chase. And it was debatable for us if he was truly a more complete, better wide receiver than Rashad Bateman. So, but, he goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. Very few better, especially fantasy-wise, landing spots he could have gone to. He's moved now ahead of Rashad Bateman for me because of his landing spot. I even have him, in Dynasty purposes, ahead of Jalen Waddle. Or I shouldn't say ahead of. I have him as a 1A, 1B, that second spot to Jamar Chase when it comes to him and Jalen Waddle Because he found himself in a situation where I believe he will be featured the way he needs to. We broke down the tape. Broke down Devonta Smith. He said the big thing is that he's going to have to be allowed to move around the formation. If you just line him up on the perimeter, if you just line him up on the slot, teams will be able to take him away. But if he's always getting versatile and in motion and being the featured guy to get the ball out in space, he's very, very good. Very, very good in that situation. He landed in the spot where I see no reason why that would not be the case. And I have some numbers here in front of me I said Rashad Bateman was going to be the Justin Jefferson of this draft. That changed as soon as the draft happened. It's going to be, Devonta Smith is going to be the Justin Jefferson of the draft. Now, does he go, does he put up the same exact numbers? I'm not sure, but the point of, he will be the best rookie fantasy wide receiver of this class. I have no doubt about that. Last year, Justin Jefferson finishes as the wide receiver six. I bring that up to say how valuable Devonta Smith, his ceiling could be a wide receiver one because of the situation that he fell into. Jalen Hurts between weeks 14 and 16. So he started four games during that stretch because week 17, remember he got benched halfway through for Carson Wentz because the Eagles were a mess. Weeks four through 16, he was QB three, throwing the ball to pretty much one guy and running. He's going to be able to get the ball to that one guy. That I trust him to be able to do. In that time span, Jalen Hurts threw the ball 113 times during those starts. That pro rates out to 600 pass attempts over just a 16-game season. Now we're in a 17-game season. That means on a percentage, if Devonta Smith's the number one guy, he should be getting 35 to 40% of the targets of the wide receivers from this group. I'm doing a little preliminary projections right now. And I wanted to tackle this. That means he should be looking at a minimum of 100 to 120 targets based on a 16-game season, which means 110 to 130 targets based on a 17-game season, basically. If he gets between 100 and 120 targets... In this offense, he is looking at the possibility of being a wide receiver one overall his rookie year in 2021. That's how the numbers break down for me. What do you think about all that?
0: Hey, I'm not ready to go that far with it. <laughs> um, I think Devontae Smith is definitely going to be one of the better receivers in this draft and possibly finish with on the top you know, rookies. But whether he's not going to finish in the top 10, I'll bet money on that. Um, there's no way I think, that I think... I'm saying he,
1: his ceiling's there. I'm not projecting him to definitely finish top 10. I think his ceiling, though, is top 10, top 12.
0: I think there's some key things when it comes to what Justin Jefferson did last year to keep kind of keep in mind for people. Number one, um, you have Adam Thielen on the other side. So you have somebody who commanded attention. You're, when you beat the second or third corner, it's much easier than beating the top-notch corner. Um, Devonta Smith is going to be the guy who they pretty much are trying to take away for the receiving game other than the tight end position. And I also question Devonta Smith's... Um, red zone usage well I think he's a great route runner and I think he's gonna be very effective in between the 20s I do wonder how productive he's going to be when it comes to touchdowns he doesn't have a big body he's not really kind of be able to separate and be able to physical guys down low necessarily so if he's gonna have to Jefferson be clear only like,
1: had seven touchdowns and wasn't utilized very much in the red zone a lot of it came outside on bigger plays it's kind of what I'm expecting for Devonta Smith
0: I don't disagree I think that you look at the Vikings offense though they're much more explosive in general what they kind of bring to the table than I think the Eagles are um, I think that when you have the ability to, you know, use a Dalvin cook, like I said, a feeling commanding kind of a safety over help tension as it is, Justin Jefferson has to beat one guy. He beats the one guy, he's got a touchdown. I think Devontae Smith's gonna have a little bit more attention paid to him. And I also kind of were a little worried about the receivers a little repetitive on the Eagles. I do think that he's gonna he thought he fell into a great fit when it comes to statistics-wise, but I think for the Eagles, Bateman actually been a better fit for them in the set per se, because they have so many guys who kind of will be ideal moved around in the slot on the outside. You don't really have that true outside receiver right now on their team. I think that might be a little bit hard. Um, I had to kind of see how the coaching staff kind of adjusts accordingly. Um, you know, We've seen T.Y. Hilton. We saw Perris Campbell kind of be featured in Colts offense. We've also seen usually some kind of uh, backside receiver. It's usually a taller, bigger guy that kind of has more production than you of expect. We had Pittman last year. Uh, I forget the guy. But it was, I think it was Pascal or whatever his name was the year before. There's usually that guy can be the route runner. Now, maybe Smith's that guy. But I do have some concerns whether he's going to be able to be week in, week out, be a consistent player out there.
1: Look, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. Minnesota Vikings offense in general will be was better last year than the Eagles will be from an efficient standpoint. But there's going to be more volume here when it comes to Philadelphia. That defense is still not very good. I still think they're the worst team in the NFC East, quite frankly. And I think a big reason why, and that's a big reason why, I went the pro rate out Jalen Hurts' passing numbers he threw it a ton when he played i don't see any reason why he's not throwing it a ton again so by sheer attrition is where devon smith one has a huge floor in my mind but two why the ceiling is there in this situation where maybe he's not as efficient as jefferson, jefferson and i don't think he's going to go for 1400 yards but i think it's going to be close enough and i think top 12 remember jefferson finishes wide receiver 6 i think top 12 is just it's in it's in the cards
0: for so devon a, smith so- And a a redraft thing, how high would you be willing to go on a Devonta Smith? What round would you be looking to take him in?
1: I mean, that part, again, until I'm done all my projections, hopefully sometime in June, I'm not going to have a real clear-cut idea exactly where. But off the top of my head, given where I would expect his floor to be and his ceiling to be, I would very much have him as a strong wide receiver, too, which means you're talking about third, fourth round in 12-man redraft leagues. At, and half-point PPR leaks. So that that is about the range uh, off the top of my head that I think you're looking at.
0: Okay. I was just curious, because I think that's a little rich for my blood. That's where I kind of feel like I'm not... I think there's still going to be guys that I trust a little bit more in that third, fourth round than I trust Devon Smith being that stud that you're looking for. But I do think if he hits, like you're saying, and he you, people do believe he's a Justin Jefferson... And you have to kind of take that shot in those rounds for him.
1: The key will be is that while I would value him there based on the numbers that I am looking at, the key will be rookie wide receivers tend to go a little bit later when you're talking about those redraft leagues. So while I'll value him here, I wouldn't be shocked if you're ADP and you're getting him a value of fifth or sixth round and more in the high-end wide receiver three territory. But the point is that this is the guy you attack because the numbers, the numbers support everything about Devonta Smith having a great rookie season. Now, outside of Devonta Smith for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'll put it back up here so to refresh everybody's memory, I love their second-round pick in Landon Dickerson. Absolutely le- Here's the only drawback, though. Philadelphia Eagles are known to have an offensive line that's never healthy. Landon Dickerson's coming into this situation, a guy who his biggest problem is staying on the field. When this offensive line is healthy, it could be very, very good. Now you added Landon Dickers- Dickerson to the fold, and it could be actually a pretty good mauling and actually, have athleticism too across the board. Can he stay healthy? And if he goes down, th- this is what I'm worried about. When you have that many offensive linemen who have a history of not being able to stay on the field consistently, you become two completely different teams. When Elaine Johnson goes down, when, uh, in this case, when Landon Dickerson goes down, when a Bucky Brooks, when, when a Buck- Brandon Brooks goes down, w- when that happens, you become a completely different offense. So when these guys are healthy, I'm going to expect them to be able to run the ball, move the ball, do whatever they got to do. When they're not, you're going to have to drastically adjust. So it's my only concern about getting yet another injury-prone offensive lineman, but we both agree. When Leonard Dickerson, he's out there on the field, this is going to be one of the better offensive lines out there. You can give me your take on Landon Dickerson.
0: I, mean, I absolutely love this guy. I know that he has some injury concerns, but most of those things are major injuries. He tore it in the ligaments. It's not something that you're kind of worried about necessarily in today's NFL, where guys, once they get their surgery, they can kind of usually bounce back. You're worried about the guys who kind of have the ongoing things that are degenerative things. He doesn't have any of those kind of key issues. So it looks like, you know, if he's able to rehab properly, he got kind of penalized for being hurt at the end of the season, basically, in a lot of ways. Now, he had got some injuries you know, while he was still in college, but for the most part, they're major things where, like, you can't, you know, you're not worried about a guy tearing his ECL necessarily going once get the surgery, usually they've repaired. Now, a lot of times they're even stronger than they were. And I think when you come to what, what the Eagles are set up to be with right now, you have incredible insurance. Um, You have, if Kelsey had anything happens to Kelsey or Brooks, which we've seen happen in the past, that team definitely struggles. Um, Lane Johnson is pretty much their best offensive lineman, but the interior is the key to the Eagles being effective. And I think that when you look, when they lose some of those guys in the interior, that's when they struggle. People seem to focus on like when the Peters and the Dillard thing, you can chip at a left tackle. You can make sure you can make adjustments. But if you have no push in the, in the middle, that's how you have the horrible running game, and that's how you have Carson Wentz looking gunshot last year where he couldn't step into his throws. I think this ensures you moving forward that you have always have a strong middle. And if things kinda work out properly and people you know, is healthy for this year in particular, you have Kelsey, you have Brooks, and you can start Dickerson at the other guard position over Samunga. And I have probably, to me, the second-best offensive line possibly in the NFL. I mean, I think maybe it'd be third because now the Chiefs are just ridiculously loaded. But you look at Dallas, you look at the Eagles, had to be you know, talked about in that conversation where you look from top to bottom what they kind of bring in, and to me, I, you still went in the trenches. So I think the Eagles actually could be surprising to some people if they have all three of those guys healthy in the interior.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say the biggest difference that people are going to know is about this Philadelphia Eagle team is for years they had a good offensive line, but he had Jason Kelsey who was always undersized the position, and it limited their ability to be able to run up the middle. You're going to see the huge difference between a Jason Kelsey and a Landon Dickerson when he's out there when you're punishing people up the middle when you're getting to the second level when you're able to run up the A and the B gap. That's going to be huge. Especially you're going to have him and Brooks. That's going to be a dominant side of the line to be able to run up the middle on. Now We'll get into the running backs when we talk about the team profiles. I think it's something going to be very interesting to talk about there. But that's kind of why I like this pick, and as I think it's going to be very interesting for the Philadelphia Eagle offense in general when they have a Landon Dickerson out there. Why I thought it was a big pick to begin with. The other fantasy relevant pick that we'll talk about first before we give our draft grades for them is Kenneth Gainwell there in the fifth round. Now, with Nick Sirianni comes in from Frank Reich, from Doug Peterson, from a long litany line of coaches that tend to play three running backs, whether they should or should not. And that's going to be the key here. Now, they did re-sign Boston Scott. I would suspect that Kenneth Gainwell will be suited for that role. Uh, whether it happens this year or not, we'll see. I think Gain- I think Gainwell this year will probably just be a special teams player for the most part. It's going to be after this. But it means that they are going to have, past 2021, past Boston Scott, they're still going to have a guy who is a 3rd down specialist everybody's trying to figure out the value of a Miles Sanders right now and I gotta tell you I'm not sure. Where, now I'll go through my numbers and I'll figure it out. But right now, top of my head, I'm not sure where on the spectrum I feel about Miles Sanders because we have one of two things that could happen. You have, on one hand, we're praising the offensive line and how good they could possibly be. Jalen Hurts, a mobile quarterback, tends to add an extra half to full yard per carry average for running backs. When it, So that all bodes well for Miles Sanders. But Jordan Howard, would I be shocked if they decided Jordan Howard gets the ball? within the five-yard line every time? No. Would I be shocked if Boston Scott or Kenneth Gainwell, the guys out there during two-minute drills and third and long situations, like a Naeem Hines role for Frank Reich, where even even with Jonathan Taylor, as great as he was, still had to deal with the fact that Naeem Hines was going to be out there on third downs in big key passing down situations. I wouldn't be shocked by that either. Does Miles Sanders turn into Marlon Mack, a guy who used to catch the ball, one of his better skill sets, And yet now became nothing more than a running back on first and second down between the 20s. There's a long, wide range of outcomes when it comes to Miles Sanders. And I think Kenneth Gainwell proves that that continues to be a concern for me. Where are you at with Kenneth Gainwell and what it does for the Philadelphia Eagle backfield?
0: I love your Marlon Mack analogy. That would be my number one concern. Do they turn him into Marlon Mack? People seem to forget Marlon Mack used to be the pass catching and receiving back for the Colts. And then suddenly he was no longer used or utilized at all in that role, and you had specialists kind of being rotated in. I do think you're going to see a lot of three running backs be usage. We've kind of seen that historically for the Eagles, just in general. Anyway, Mandy Ree was there. We've seen what Peterson was there. They always kind of have some, whether it was Smallwood, whether it was a Scott, they're always throwing some extra guy out there, it seemed like. Um, but when you look at what Sanders can be do productive wise, I think he can have a really solid year because the line's going to be good. All of the Colts' line was really good. Um, but you got to really question how much is he going to be utilized in the passing game, which severely limits him to, in PBR leagues, and definitely limits him in just production overall. Um, you know, the team falls down, and we see this a lot of have times, a lot of different backfields back where once the team's down by double digits, they go to the passing game, and that running back never seems to feel the rest of the game, or it doesn't get another touch the rest of the game. So I do have some concerns about Miles Sanders, his dual threat usage, actually being something that might be the thing of the past, and we kind of talked about, remember, Miles Sanders used to catch balls, because maybe you I mean, look at the Eagles, how they're set up and constituted right now. You have kind of guys that are specialists. Um, and you talk about the goal line stuff. We saw the Colts with Marlon Mack. Also, I think it was uh, Vic Ballard. They were starting to use in the red zone. They're using different big guys in the red zone because they were trying to get the guys who were getting short yardage and the touchdowns here or there. Um, so I have concern that they're going to get cute sometimes in the backfield. And as an, as an owner in fantasy, the last thing you want to deal with guys is getting cute.
1: Yeah, I agree, and that's what scares me most of all. All right, so the rest of the Philadelphia Eagles draft, let's go ahead and give them our draft grade. Uh, they took Milton Williams, who I thought was a good pick, defensive tackle in the third round. Zeke McPherson in the corner there in the fourth round. Came back with Marlon Tupoluto in the defensive tackle in the sixth round. Taron Jackson, defensive end, in the sixth round. They had a lot of six-round picks. Jacoby Stevens. Safety sixth round Patrick Johnson, an edge player in their seventh round pick. Chris, give me the draft grade on the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: So, I would I really strongly consider giving the Eagles an A minus, but I gave them a B plus. Um, just for the simple fact that I think I wasn't big on the trade up for Devonta Smith and I wasn't big on them necessarily taking him there over Bateman. But looking at the rest of their team, they got tremendous value, in my opinion. Dickerson in the second round was just a steal, Milton Williams. I remember that name. People like a lot of times people forget how Aaron Donald came in. He was a high draft draft pick, but this guy has a lot of skills Aaron Donald kind of brings to the table. Quick step, quick hands, tested off the charts, and um, very productive in college. Because he went to a smaller school, people seem to knock him. I guess he's not Trey Lance, so you know, know, only Trey Lance gets 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 the excuse for playing in a small college and still can be productive. Um, But this guy has a lot of things he brings to the table.
1: Don't don't even don't (laughs) stop stop trying to give me bait. Stop it.
0: Um. But I also look at even Zach McPherson pickup. Like, people are kind of questioning what the Eagles did in the secondary. Zach McPherson is a ball hawk. He, he's a, he's a, he has the ability to kind of um, play some one-on-one coverage. He's going to be a good tandem to slay. Um, so I think that was a steal. And then even the later rounds where you guys got, like, the, you know, they had Jackson and Johnson, both those guys are were productive pass rushers. I'm a big believer that guys are productive in college, they're pass rushing, actually produce in the NFL, versus guys who are supposed to have the skill set to actually have sacks but don't get any in college, and suddenly they're going to learn how to in the NFL. Both these guys, you know, have been averaging almost over a sack a game. Sack a game, guys, for both those guys. So I think they're good with good steals. The Eagles, traditionally, when they're good offensive line, defensive line, they have a pretty strong team.
1: I am going to give the Eagles an A- minus for the simple reason they did something that a lot of teams struggle to do in this NFL draft, and that is actually get players of need, but at the same time, good, talented players in good value positions. And that is a, an all-around NFL draft approach that you don't see happen very often. So I am going to give them a A-. As far as the trade-up, they didn't give up a lot to move up a couple no. spots to get their guy. So ultimately, I don't knock them for the trade. Um, maybe could do- they have waited possibly, I don't know, Being how the rest of the draft kind of wound up playing out from there on. We'll talk about that. Maybe they could have stopped there and played, but being that they didn't give up that much, especially considering some of the teams that we saw, the amount that they gave up to move up different spots in certain areas. No, I, I, I'm not going to take that away. Go ahead.
0: No, it wasn't a terrible trade. I don't mean that so much so, but I think it cost them where they actually could have, for me, they needed to add another player too in this draft. Um, they really could have added another receiver to that, to that whole receiving core. I think they need to have somebody with some height um, there was definitely some guys that kind of slid around down around you know the fourth, fifth round that you can kind of take a shot on, and they need to add some more. And then I wouldn't have stopped it was just McPherson in the secondary. The secondary to me is one of their Achilles heels, and I think they should throw an extra pick or two there. Um, I understand what they did with the lines, I understand the value, but like I don't think they really needed Kenneth Gaywell, for example. I think they could have addressed something different. If you're going to take a Joy Smith. You don't take Gainwell, in my opinion. You take something that's going to actually complement your team better.
1: I, I do agree. I think that Kenneth Gainwell was an was a, a questionable pick there. Uh let's move on to the Chicago Bears. There's a lot to talk about with the Chicago Bears. A lot of surprising things to talk about with the Chicago Bears. Of course, you know, lead off not only the first round pick. He's a new franchise quarterback. I think he's going to start week one. Justin Fields. Trade up to 11 to get him. Hey, this look, they needed this move. Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace. They now put themselves in a position beyond all odds that them saving their jobs is actually now in the cards somehow, some way. It would be shocking to me, it would still be a mistake in my mind. But now that is in the cards, they could possibly have saved their job on this draft. Now, Justin Fields, from a fantasy standpoint, again, I don't think anybody out there can convince me that Andy Dalton's going to play week one. I don't see it. I think Justin Fields is automatically more talented than everybody. He's going to bring in a whole other element to the offense that they need to have because they don't have a lot of playmakers to begin with. So Justin Fields is not going to have to be a quarterback. He's also going to have to be one of their biggest playmakers. I don't see a reason why he's not to start a week one. So I'm going to project him off of that assumption until we find something else out, you know, in August and training camp that would say otherwise. But up until that point, I'm going to assume he is going to be the starter. Trubisky. was QB 11 from when he came back for his second starting set for weeks, 12 to 17. Now, there's a couple differences between the two. Bill Lazer is calling plays, and the Bears offense was much more productive, much more efficient with Bill Lazor calling plays. From what we understand, Matt Nagy's taking back over. Why? I do not know. Why these could, and you know what? It's these Andy Reid coaches. That's what it is. It's the Andy Reid coaches where they, they hand it off like, okay, we suck, we'll hand it off to the office coordinator, they'll do well. The office is doing well, but now they're getting credits. Now we got to take it back over. Now the difference is that Andy Reid will sometimes rebound in his play calling, and, want, and that's why he's still Andy Reid and a head coach ultimately. But the rest of these guys, the Doug Petersons of the world, the Matt Naggies of the world, the only one I've seen actually be successful so far is Frank Bright, and that's because he's actually a good play caller. These guys, they don't rebound. True? They don't learn. They don't, they don't learn from their mistakes. Matt Nagy has never learned from his mistakes. Every time he takes over the play calling, it's the same thing over and over and over again. It's predictable. So, And the one thing he lacked to do last year when he was calling plays is properly featuring Allen Robinson. Not, he wasn't able to properly feature David Montgomery in the run game. Those are he your only David weapons.
0: Montgomery.
1: Yeah, those are your only weapons. That's it. And if you're going to play Justin Fields, which again, I think you will, your entire offense has to be based on what you did the end of last season. And because Justin Fields is a much better playmaker than Mitchell Trubisky is, you'll actually be in a position to be a better offense, just based on keeping it simple, based on getting Allen Robinson open in space, moving him all around the formation, and running RPO action with David Montgomery, opening up some extra holes that your crappy offensive line would not otherwise be able to open. That is going to be a big factor. How long, Matt Nagy holds on to the play calling. My hope is, you know, maybe they have a little bit of a rough September, and he hands it back over. That would, But that's best case scenario. So that is something we have to keep in mind, but again, I go back to this. While I think Justin Fields would have been better off in a situation where he could have developed a little bit, I do think in this offense, it's set up for him to succeed in his rookie season, because it's going to be very simple. Hit Allen Robinson, or run hand the ball off to David Montgomery or run and do play action based off of that. So because of that, because it'll be very simple because you'll have to be a playmaker, Justin Fields, I believe will be a top 10 quarterback as a rookie and somebody I'm going to be very much targeting in redraft leagues. from a dynasty standpoint. He is my number three behind Zach Wilson ahead of Trey Lance ahead of Mac Jones, because you're going to get that value year one for sure. And because of the legs, Ultimately, and you're in a position where you're going to be able to utilize those two. You're going to have to because there's not going to be a lot of playmakers to be able to go to. So when I look at Justin Fields, I get very excited about his fantasy output. And he's going to be one of the quarterbacks that I'm looking to target late because I'm not targeting quarterbacks with double digit rounds. I expect Fields to be there because of how many quarterbacks are out there that a guy like that is going to be available. And I just talked about Jalen Hurts, how he was QB three during his starting little stint. I see no reason why Justin Fields – I'm not saying to be QB3 overall for the entire season, but why he's not able to give you that kind of production because of his legs, because of that floor, and because he does have an Allen Robinson to throw the ball to, which he can get it to very accurately. He's always been able to hit his number one target. I believe Justin Fields has a hell of a floor with a great ceiling. I'm going to probably have him in my top 10 quarterbacks for 2021. Go ahead, Chris.
0: I mean, I can't argue that. I think that Justin Fields has one of the strongest floors when it comes to the rookie quarterback class this year. Um, this guy's going to be when he's utilized, has the legs, he's in an offensive. I kind of question the upside, so to speak, I guess with him, because I do think that he's going to have solid production. Um, the bears, because of limited playmakers, because of Matt Nagy, as you kind of pointed out, I do have some concerns about how effective they have become scoring wise. Um, one of the things that Matt Nagy seems to have, you know, not only not be creative, he seems to be very blatant, um, when he's going to run the ball and when he's going to throw the ball. He puts his quarterbacks in shitty situations. Sorry, yeah. crappy situations. Uh, constantly like it's, it's third and seven, third and eight. We saw that happen to Jimmy G last year in San Francisco, and how that kind of worked out for him. You can easily ruin a solid quarterback by putting him constantly third and eights, where he, because you're just running the ball, tackle up the middle. I mean, David Montgomery basically was getting running out of the league, according to everybody. You know, the first eight weeks of the season, and yeah. when, suddenly, when Bill Lazor got taken over, suddenly he's productive, and suddenly he's effective. Well, it's not a coincidence. Montgomery's not a bad player. The coaching was horrible. The running game and how he use the running game was horrible. I do have some concerns whether that's going to affect Fields' upside. But like I said, I think he has an outstanding floor. I think he's definitely a starting quarterback in your leagues this year where you could take him in your 12-man team or even a 10-team, team, 10-team league. I think you can be fine with Justin Fields as your starting quarterback. I just question whether or not he has the upside to actually be more than that going down the road. Um, where that's why I understand we have other guys kind of valued ahead of them with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Um, you know, you kind of look at those guys long-term, maybe they have more upside overall.
1: Continuing on with the Bears draft, again, it was, it was a really good draft from top to bottom, even just outside of Justin. Tevin Jenkins in the second round was a steal. I mean, we talked about the offensive line being questionable. Boy, does he help it out in a big way, especially when it comes to the running game. Speak to Tevin Jenkins, Chris.
0: I love Tevin Jenkins. Here's my key with him, though. They cannot start him at left tackle. they ruin their pick. No, agree. That's, that's the whole thing with the Bears that I'm concerned enough in general. While things look good on paper to a degree, Chicago's had history of finding ways to sabotage themselves. And when you look at Tevin Jenkins, the, the, the first thing they're talking about is he's going to be the left, starting left tackle. He's not a left tackle. He's going to struggle with left tackle position. He's a great mauler. He's a great run blocker. He's got decent technique. And he'd be a fantastic right tackle for them. And he put, you know, paired him with Whitlair on that right side. They have, you know, something to build around. Um, But we kind of seen the Bears, where they have a solid opposite line in place, and that's kind of where Nagy comes to speak. They don't seem to utilize their physical guys well. So I get a little concerned when they have guys like Jenkins, who's a mauler who's going to be very physical, and you're going to have him play a finesse position. Um, I'm kind of worried about how that kind of folds. But I think overall, if they don't screw it up, I think he's an outstanding talent, and I cannot believe he fell that far to them.
1: Another fantasy guy of note they took in the sixth round was Khalil Herbert. Uh, there's a good chance. Now, Tariq Cohen will be there, and technically on the depth chart, Tariq Cohen will probably list it as number two, but really the actual backup running back to David Montgomery is going to be Khalil Herbert. If something happens to Montgomery, Herbert will come in on first and second downs. I really love this guy coming out of college. I think he's the perfect sleeper type of running back for your dynasty leagues. Take him, store him, because I do think, number one, I think he's going to get an opportunity at some point whether it's this year or next year, I do think within the next two years, he's going to get an opportunity to play. And he's going to surprise people with his tackle breaking ability, with his vision, with his sharp cuts, with his ex- he has an extra gear. Once he's able to get into the second level, Talked about this before. He's got a long way to go. When it comes to pass blocking. And I don't know how much of a factor, if any, he'll ever be in the passing game in general, when it comes to receptions, but this guy has a very particular skill set. I think it'd be a very efficient runner. It reminds me a lot, of a maybe a little bit more explosive Alfred Morris in some ways with the way he could probably be utilized in fantasy conditions. So, Chris, Khalil Herbert for the long term, we're not talking redraft, we're talking for the long term, what is your outlook for him?
0: I think he's definitely I maybe take a shot on. I wouldn't necessarily draft him very high in fantasy, uh, redraft. not redraft, I'm sorry, um, dynasty leagues, but I do question whether or not Montgomery's going to get a second contract there in Chicago, so he does have a clear opportunity to kind of rise up the pecking chart. And we do know that, you know, the Bears historically like to rotate their backs as long as Matt Nagy is the coach. Um, they usually have a second or third running back consistently being used. You can kind of follow any, any reads. You know, Tree kind of has does a lot of similar things. talked about the Eagles earlier. Um, So I think you had have a lot of different teams that you can kind of see where he has an opportunity. When he's out there, he can be productive. I like his quickness. I do think he can be a good pass catcher, honestly. I do think he has a, a skill set. I just think that part of the thing in Virginia Tech was he wasn't really asked to do that very much, and that wasn't part of their, necessarily their offense. Um, but I think he has, he has good hips, and usually if you have good hips and decent feet, you usually can learn how to be a pass catcher if you don't fight the ball. He doesn't fight the ball. So I think he has the opportunity to be pretty productive. I just worry about if they – just as long as Matt Nike's there, you never know who's actually going to eat in that backfield at all, though.
1: Well, and then we go to Daz Newsome, which was wide receiver in the sixth round of the day taken. And you know, the only real reason he's of note is because – that second receiver right now is expected to be Mooney. But any receiver outside of Allen Robinson, frankly, that position's up in the air. So what do you think Daz Newsome has a chance to be in Chicago?
0: I think just like that, that flash in the pan Chicago seems to have every year. Um, I think Mooney will probably be the number number two because they do seem to love him. But they always seem to love some guy that they could take in the sixth or seventh round. Um, they, we had Mims the year before. We've had Anthony Miller be out there. They kind of rotate that third receiver in a lot of different ways. And as long as you're able to kind of be productive, then they'll keep throwing you out there. So I think there's an excellent opportunity for him to, you know, definitely get in the top three. Does he ever become the number two receiver? I don't know. But I think that if you look at kind of how the Bears unfold, they usually have a guy who has that little streak where he's pretty consistent, he's pretty decent. You maybe have him for, you know, a couple games here or there. Long term value, I think he's got some because you have no idea that Allen Robinson comes back to Chicago next year. So when you look at their receiving core in general, they don't really have a whole lot of guys under contract moving forward. Um, and unless they make, they're kind of in cap hell in a lot of ways too. So that's where it's going to be really interesting to see. Does he get a shot to actually be at one of the you know more featured guys moving forward?
1: Yeah. I don't think he's anything special, but he's a player, a name that I want to put out there of note because he does have a pathway to more playing time than maybe he necessarily would anywhere else. All right. So outside of that, their fifth-round pick was Larry Baram at the guard position. They had uh, Chris Tonga, defensive tackle, in the seventh round. So, Chris, give me the Bears draft grade.
0: So, I'm going to give the Bears a B. I would have given them a B minus because I'm not thrilled with their draft overall, but the Justin Fields thing basically saves everybody, and everybody seems to love it, and I have to give them props for doing the trade. They didn't give up three number ones like some teams I know. Um, they did land their quarterback, So, and they had a great value with Jenkins. The rest of the draft's kind of iffy to me. I like the Herbert pick, but I don't necessarily love the fit for him. Um, I think that they could have, you know, addressed the other positions, particularly defensively, where I still can't believe they had, they cut Fuller for no reason, in my opinion. Um, and that's why I think A. Dalton will start at least two or three games this year. Got to justify cutting your starting corner for some reason. Um, and then I do think I like that you don't
1: care about justifying anything. Go Ahead.
0: <laughs> well, we've seen Mike Lennon. We've seen Nick Foles. We've seen them screw up their situations at a quarterback and still stick to the guy at least the first couple of weeks just because they think they have to in a sense. Now, does it usually wind up staying very long? No. That part I think everybody knows if Chicago starts off 0-2, 3 Andy Dalton will not be the quarterback the rest of the season come hell or high water. We all know that. Um, so I do think there's a lot of pressure in Chicago to start off well, but I'm not a big fan of the coaching staff or the general manager in general because I think that they've historically shown they're able to sabotage themselves year in, year out. Um, and I think when you look at this draft, some of the things that they're missing, they didn't really necessarily address. I do love, like I said, the first two picks I like, I like uh, Herbert's talent. Newsom wasn't a bad flyer because he's got some skills, probably one of more skilled players in their receiving core now. Um, but the rest of the draft's kind of like, will you make the team or are you anything you know even worry about?
1: I give him a B plus because you single-handedly made a draft move that could actually save multiple uh, an entire regime's job that really... I don't think anybody expected I didn't even expect them to still have their jobs going in 2021. I really didn't expect them to have their jobs going in 2022. And now they actually might have that. You're going to be because you actually probably saved your butts a little bit. So let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys. And from a fantasy perspective, there's not going to be a lot to talk about because they went all defense. But I want to talk to that point, Chris, when I it took comes one to receiver, they took one wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, they took Faco uh, because nice of the guard. Cowboys, because the Cowboys are so low at the wide receiver position. I don't know when, if, or ever he sees the field, but let's talk about their draft in general. Them going all defense, pretty much. We both love the Mika Parsons pick. Uh, the Calvin Joseph pick was a little questionable, but still a decent corner and a position of need. Does does this draft with all these defensive guys that we like, or I shouldn't say all, but a lot of the defensive guys that we like, especially the value that they got, especially guys like Jabril Cox in the fourth round with a very good pass rusher. They got value there. Does this change their defense this year enough where they might not be the leaking sieve that they were a season ago? And does that change the fantasy value? Because one of the big reasons everyone's excited about Dallas is not because they're so low on the offensive side of the ball, but it's also because last year you had to drop 40 to have a chance to win if you're the Dallas Cowboys. Does that continue this year with this draft in your mind?
0: So I think you're gonna see a slight reduction offensively because I don't think there's gonna be a need to score forty. I don't think Dallas is necessarily gonna you know pump the brakes and try not to score or, or be a super conservative offense as a result of that. But I do think the defense is gonna be markedly better. I'm not a big Dan Quinn fan, but when I look at their draft I look at the places the pieces they have in place, they have things to kind of build on in each level, which is I think is key for Dallas. One of those key things is a linebacker. Dallas seems to always, for the last few years, kind of go as their linebackers go. And we saw Lee for a while there, Vander Esch, Jalen Smith. When those guys are healthy, Dallas's defense is usually serviceable. When those guys aren't healthy, suddenly it becomes complete Swiss cheese because you can run the ball and you can throw the ball all over Dallas. Now that you have such depth the linebacker position and so many different playmakers, you can kind of eat an injury or two, and you don't have to have that dramatic drop. And in fact, if as long as those guys are healthy, you might have the best running back – I'm sorry, backs, linebacking um, receiving Whoa. duo and the, or against, you know, against receivers duo there is – well, not just duo, but I think guys who can actually cover backs out of the backfield and tight ends out of the backfield. Coverage guys is the word I'm looking for, sorry. Probably the best coverage linebacking crew in the NFL. Parsons can cover. I mean, one of the biggest things being for Cox, I don't know how much he's going to see the field necessarily this year, but Cox can that's – his, that's his strong suit. And in a division and in a lot of teams where teams are – utilizing that flex tight end in a lot of ways and it had people have a hard matching up or you can run the ball because they do Dallas is going to be one of the few teams that can actually have three or four linebackers out there and you can't necessarily just spread them out and attack them. Um, and then I think you also look at kind of the, you know, some of the sleeper things with the Quentin Bohannon thing in the sixth round, they got some girth in the middle for a change. So not only have those linebackers that can fly around, you guys got, you got some guys that can actually plug up that middle. Now Dallas isn't going to be a spectacular secondary but we've seen historical teams, when you can stop the run, then you can kind of limit the passing game. All of the you know, 49ers, for a lot of times when they had their the old coaching staff with Harbaugh there, um, you can see them kind of playing in almost a, a way of kind of keeping guys in front of it and making tackles. I see this Dallas team is wired very similarly. They have big corners. They have guys that can kind of get deep in safety. They keep plays in front of them. And that way they can kind of, you know, stop the runs, focus on the pass. It's not going to be a lights-out defense, per se, but the defense, I think, will be tremendously better than it was last year.
1: It was They have bigger size. They have bigger size. The big thing, and you hit it on the head there, is that with guys like Mika Parsons and Jalen Smith, you have versatility at the linebacker position where they're going to be able to rush the passer. They're going to be very good stopping. And that front seven in general, that defensive line underachieved last year. And if you're going to be able to finally stop the run, which I think they will be able to do to some degree this season, And you're able to focus now on what's going to be bigger, man-to-man, beat-you-up-at-the-line type of corners. You're going to have an identity on defense, which is something they didn't have. And that in and of itself will make them much better than they were a season ago. It's why the Cowboys are my number one team in the NFC. But ultimately, for the people out there who are like, where do we go? We'll just take away from the offensive production. No, that offense is too good to be held in check. I think it just makes us a very good or possibly potentially very good Dallas Cowboy team. But I'm not worried about any of the fantasy production really falling off. Well, Without I was going to say, other than, other than you the fact, 45 other, points other out than the fact week. that's
0: a big difference, I
1: think. I was just going to say, other than the fact that, yes, I don't expect historic numbers by the end of the season, or at least not the level that they were doing it. But would I be surprised if this Dallas Cowboys offense broke some records? No. No, I would not. So I think ultimately that goes hand in hand. We got to hit a break. We'll come back on the other side. we still got a few more teams to talk about. Mailbag segment for you guys. So stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. WWSRN right after this.
2: It it, is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We've been draft recapping, guys, and we talked about the Broncos, the Eagles, the Bears, the Cowboys. Now we got to get through the Chargers, the Vikings, the Patriots, and the Cardinals. A lot more to talk about here still, of course, with the mailbag segment all at the end. So let's jam pack this in, Chris, starting off with the Chargers here. Actually, before we do that, My bad. We got to give a shout out to one of our sponsors off the day for this segment. Monkey Knife Fight. Monkey Knife Fight is a daily fantasy sports gaming website with a number of unique ways to win money on your favorite sports and players. It's a mix of daily fantasy and prop games. So just download the app or go to monkeyknifefight.com with the promo code BELLYUP for a dollar to dollar match on your deposit of up to $100. That's potentially an instant $100 free to play today when you sign up at monkeyknifefight.com with the promo code BELLYUP. So the Chargers had a strong draft as well, in my opinion. They they got some guys of need. They got some guys who are going to make a real big, impactful difference from a fantasy perspective as well, starting off with Rashawn Slater at the 13th pick. Also, Josh Palmer, I think, is going to be interesting at the third round the 77th pick. Maybe not in 2021, but from a dynasty standpoint, I definitely think this is a guy who's going to see the field and play in a significant way at some point for them. I like Josh Palmer's ability. I think he is a better version of a Jalen Guyton. And we saw who was fantasy relevant at times last season because the big play threat. I don't believe Mike Williams will be there after this season. So there's a chance that Josh Palmer could be the second fiddle wide receiver to Keenan Allen starting in 2022. Very intrigued from him and a dynasty standpoint. Value him in about that second round in your your rookie mock drafts because of what his potential could be, especially when you get later on in the second round where you start you know, getting to that territory of guys, of whether or not they're going to play as much, what kind of value you're going to be looking for. He's got the big play ability. He's got the big body ability. He fits that offense with Joe Lombardi very, very well as the second receiver to the featured guy. So I like Josh Palmer there quite a bit and what he could potentially be. He'll be somebody I even have my eye on DFS standpoint uh, because he's somebody I think might get a crack to play and be a big play threat for him this year at some point too. The big thing though is Rasan Slater. Because what he's going to be able to do for this running game, what he's going to be able to do for Austin Eckler, he's an athletic guy. They love the screens with Eckler. Rashawn Slater is going to go a big way in that part of it as well, along with helping out protecting Justin Herbert and giving him a little bit more time to throw. So Chris, just talk to me about Slater and Josh Palmer quickly.
0: I think Slater is an excellent addition. And I think that wherever he plays on the offensive line, where he can play tackle, he can play guard, this guy can just ball. So I think he's definitely a great addition. And I think Palmer, you make a good point. The opportunities there. He has a skill set to kind of push the ball down the field. This guy averaged almost 20 yards per catch in his in a college career, so he's kind of known for the big play. Uh, he's got good physical skill set. So I do think he gets the kind of a shot in that offense moving forward.
1: I love their second round pick, Asante Samuel Jr. I thought that was a great value. I thought he definitely could have gone in the first round. He's gonna help out a Chargers defense that I think is already really talented with Brandon Staley, who was, you know, a great defensive mind coming out of the Rams, making them the Roman defense last year. The question of the Chargers is always gonna be can that defense ever stay healthy? Because it doesn't matter, seem doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter who they have. They just always find a way to get hurt, no matter how much of talent is Derwin James will be back. Outside of that, I questioned the Trey McKitty pick. That was a little questionable to me in the third round, the tight end. Uh, doesn't really project to be much. And then Chris Rump, the edge player in the fourth round. Brendan James, offensive tackle in the fifth. Nick Neiman, the linebacker in the sixth round. Larry Roundtree, somebody that we'll talk about in a second, so I'll kick that to you in the sixth round. Uh, seventh round, they had Mark Webb, safety. So just talk to me a little bit about Larry Roundtree because the second running back to Austin Eckler is always going to be a question, too. We know they'll be involved. Right now, it projects out to be Joshua Kelly. But Joshua Kelly, Justin Jackson, these guys, we know what they are at this point. And you know what? So do the Chargers. So maybe Larry Roundtree, if he's able to impress in camp, could be the second fiddle guy. Go ahead. Speak to that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this might be the sleeper in this draft, right? Actually, this year for both dynasty and for redraft purposes. Um, I think you look at a player who profiles as that prototypical number one, number two, first down back, um, first and second down back, I should say. And he pairs well with Eckler. I think he has the best vision by far in the backfield. I think he's much more of a banger than Jackson, where I think you kind of need a guy who kind of compliments as more of a physical runner. And you look at the other guys they have in the backfield, I'm not big fans of theirs, and I think that's an easy opportunity to kind of beat some of these guys out. I think Larry Roundtree was kind of underrated because he's not super explosive, but this guy is a great running back in the sense that he gets what's, he gets what's blocked and he always gets moving forward. Um, he's able to always put the extra yard or two up by moving the pile he has a good puts the foot down on the ground and gets north and south really easily. I think he's gonna be a coach's dream in a lot of ways. And I think when you kind of look at the Saints historically, you know, kind of Coach are kind of has built building right there. You have that, usually that physical back, the kind of goal-line guy who's kind of utilized in that situation. I think this guy might get That's going to be the key right them. there.
1: That's going to be the key right there what you just hit on. Because I think he's very similar to Joshua Kelly. The problem with Joshua Kelly is that he wasn't as good in the goal line as he should have been. So if Larry Roundtree can be better at the goal line, that could be the difference for him to actually take over. And the point is with him is that there's a pathway here for him to find some playing time. I'm not worried about him in redraft leagues until we actually know that for a fact. But right now, when you're doing your rookie dynasty drafts, he's somebody that I'm taking and storing away because he's somebody I'm going to have in my mind later on. Chris, give me the Chargers draft grade.
0: So I give them a B minus. Um, I would've gave them only a C because I think overall they reached on most of their positions, but those two first two packs, which kind of fell to them in a lot of ways, Rashawn Slater and Asante Samuel Jr., I think they're two starters. They're two excellent players and both probably went to Pro Bowl very soon. So I think overall they're awesome. The rest of the draft I really question the value. Now that I think just production available there. Like I said, the Palmer, McKitty probably has an opportunity to be a starter because they have no other tight ends really on the roster. I think I like the round tree. I think he was a steal, but the rest of the draft, I'm kind of think they reached a lot of positions and this team's not as good as everybody thinks it is in a sense where it's very top heavy. They could have used some quality depth and I think like they kind of missed out on some opportunities.
1: Yeah. I tend to agree with you there. B minus is, is a fair grade for sure. Let's move to the Minnesota Vikings who would have been the 14th pick traded back. Christian Derisaw winds up being their top pick. From a fantasy standpoint, there's not a lot to break down throughout their draft. They had a lot of picks. Uh, Kellen Mon would be the only thing of interest. But Kellen Mond, to me, is a reach of the third round. Why? Because purely developmental quarterback. I don't think he's anything more. I don't think this is a guy who's ever going to really start consistently. I can't say he'll never have a start because injuries could happen. Maybe he finds himself out there in one week. He will never be the consistent week-to-week starter. That will never happen. There's just too many holes in his game. He has too far of a development path in front of him, I believe, to go. But the real indication here, and this is more what I want to talk about, is Kirk Cousins, it's clear the Vikings are planning to move on from Kirk Cousins maybe as soon as next year if the right opportunity presents itself. So speak more to that idea of Kirk Cousins and the Vikings moving on. Sooner rather than later, possibly.
0: I think one of the things is getting hard to justify is that contract that he gets paid. And you, know, you always gotta pay your top quarterback a lot of money. But Kirk Cousins doesn't necessarily produce like a top quarterback. He's consistently pretty good. He's solid. Um, but when you look at the Vikings with their holes and the kind of, the cap hell that they're in a lot of ways, they basically have sacrificed a lot of defensive talent to basically pay Kirk Cousins. You're going to have players coming up for deals and you can't just continue to keep paying just your quarterback and little else. If he's not an Aaron Rodgers, if he's not a Patrick Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson because these guys can actually be game changers. But if the guy is just kind of a serviceable guy and a solid guy that you're going to see a lot of teams when they get to that second, third year of that deal, they're going to start looking to kind of get out of it because paying a quarterback 30, 30, $40 million basically hampers whatever you can do moving forward. You got people who are going to have to get paid like Justin Jefferson at some And you know, we receivers aren't going down in value necessarily. So they're going to have people they have to kind of make decisions on, and I think Kirk Cousins is the easy sacrificial lamb for them in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I agree with that it's going to be interesting to see what they do going into twenty twenty two. We know Cousins will be the guy for twenty twenty one, but what they go to twenty twenty two, it's going to be worth monitoring that situation. A couple could other because co- fantasy wise, though. Could, yeah, absolutely. The other, co- co- the other. I was going to say the other observation that I was making was that this draft was also very good for Dalvin Cook. Christian Derisal in the first round. He was my third-rated tackle, and I thought from a technical standpoint, might have been the best one because he is solid technique-wise. And then they pick up Y Davis in the third round, which I thought was a, a good guard, but a guy who's going to have to fall into the right scheme. He fell into the right scheme. He's an athletic zone type of player. He falls in that scheme now with Kubiak. This draft was very good for Dalvin Cooks so to speak to that quickly.
0: No, I think that you know the key is that you talked about the linemen and they added they added two guys who are known road graders can, or both athletic. And I think that when you kind of look at Dal, you know, when Minnesota has in place and Dalvin has in front of him, he's got two guys he can definitely help a lot.
1: Give me their overall draft grade. I mean, they had you Chaz uh, linebacker uh, Patrick Jones, the edge Kenny. Neng-woo? N- Neng-woo? Mm-hmm. we'll skip that one right
0: he's, he's going to be He's an interesting guy though like, I mean look at Neng-woo, he's got an ability kind of like a jared mckinnon did where he's going to be an explosive player they can utilize in special teams they can utilize in the backfield kind of some gadget plays but this guy ran a four two so he's got some, he yeah. some athleticism
1: it, it's here's the thing though he's never going to be more in special teams as long as alexander madison is there uh, that that's going to be the key point when it comes to that. But a, a guy because of his ability, I don't mind taking a flyer on him. He's a guy that I don't think you're going to have to draft in your rookie oh, mock no. drafts. You're going to be able to pick him up afterwards though, and stash him on your taxi squad. That's a, that is a name to kind of keep an eye on. We've seen the third string running backs get into place because for some reason, Alexander Madison seems to get hurt whenever Dalvin cook gets hurt. I don't know how that works or why that happens, but it seems to be the case. Uh, Cameron Bynum, cornerback; Janarius Robinson, edge, Smith-Marset, I I do want you to mention him. This is another name worth noting because of the position he finds himself in. One of our sleepers that we had before the draft, we actually came up in the Belly Up Fantasy Live on 8.30 at Belly Up Fantasy. We talked about him a little bit because he came up in our pre-NFL draft, rookie mock draft. He's a guy with an interesting skill set. Adam Thielen, along with Kirk Cousins, he may be on his way out the door come the end of 2021 and 2022 as well. Marset has that type of skill set. I don't think this offense is set up to really give a third receiver fantasy value. They haven't done it now. They haven't had a very good receiver to do it with either. But they also have not done it. I don't think they're set up in that way. They're set up to feature Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen, but Marset, I think so. That's why I think for twenty because his name keeps coming in twenty twenty one situations, and I'm like, I don't, I don't see where the value is for that with given how this offense usually works. But for dynasty twenty twenty two. I do think there's a real chance he's given the opportunity to replace an Adam Thielen if they, in fact, do move on. So just speak, speak to me about Smith's Marset, his dynasty, his long-term value real quick.
0: Yeah, he's not a guy necessarily. I uh, definitely don't really look at him for a draft value at all. Um, I think that, kind of to your point, this offense isn't going to feed the receivers. They use a lot of two tight end sets, and that B.C. Johnson's not just going to go away. Um, but I think moving forward... If they are to move on, you have you know, take your chance and kind of add somebody to your dynasty roster. This guy is a nice flyer to take because you don't know what the Adam Thielen situation how it's gonna necessarily unfold. The guy has a history of getting open. He's able to kind of move around. My only kind of question I worry about him a little bit is I think he kind of takes away from Jefferson. Jefferson's best he's used in a slot. Um, I think that Smith is clearly Marisette's clearly a slot receiver. I don't really think he can play any outside. Um, but he reminds me a little bit of like an al guy where he gets opportunity. He's going to be able to kind of produce in a consistent manner. He might never be a, a, a star or might never be somebody that you're necessarily targeting in fantasy, but a guy that you can kind of throw out there in the right situations to get you some decent points.
1: It took Zach Davison, tight end in the fifth round and then Jalen Tyman, defensive tackle in the sixth round. Okay, now give me your draft grade on the Minnesota Vikings.
0: So I wanted to give, – I'm going to give them an A-minus. I wanted to give them an A. The Kelly Mon thing, I I agree with you. I don't think he's necessarily a starting quarterback. I think he will get a chance to start in Minnesota, unlike you, but I don't think he's a good value in the third round. Um, But everybody seemed to kind of not care about quarterbacks and just take them wherever they think they should. But the rest of the draft, I think they had a home run. Got a lot of guys that fit the Vikings too. A lot of Zimmer type of players that he can coach up and get better. You look at some of the steals, I think, when they're defensively with Heyman and uh, Robinson and even Patrick Jones. One of the things the Vikings have really kind of struggled with is a pass rush. But we saw guys like Hunter come out of nowhere. We've seen Robinson, Brian Robinson a couple years ago come out of nowhere. One thing Max Zimmer can do is coach up some of these guys. And he's got a lot of guys who have been productive and a lot of guys who are hard workers. So when I go from top to bottom of this draft, other than the Kelly Mond draft pick, I think it's an excellent draft. Entering and, and getting extra picks with Darcel, I think was was a fantastic move.
1: Yeah, overall, they had a great draft. I still give them a B+, plus because I think the Kelman pick was just that much of a waste. But the rest of their draft, and to your point, the fact that they drafted guys that really fit their team was huge as well. So let's move on to the New England Patriots. They were a big story of the draft as well, because Mac Jones fell into They didn't have to trade up. All this talk about the Patriots trading up the other quarterback, all they had to do was sit there at 15 and let Mac Jones fall flat into their lap. We know he's the starting quarterback long-term. Chris, what do you think the Patriots are going to do in 2021?
0: I think you're going to see Cam get a shot initially, and I also think you might see that the Patriots get cute and kind of annoying for the first couple of weeks of the season, even maybe up to week to maybe like the midpoint of the season, where I think you might see a, a kind of old school college mentality of rotating quarterbacks based on the we're going to throw and kind of run. Uh, we heard some rumors about that with Sinem and Cam, a couple you know going into last year, they were kind of considering using both of them at, during the season, during the games. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you kind of see some of that used. I think it's stupid, but I think it is a possibility. Um, And then I think that you're going to see Cam get the first shot, basically. I think there's no reason they're going to try to rush Matt Jones out there. Um, The Patriots, nobody's job's on the line necessarily. There's Chicago and some other situations. So I think that you're going to take take time. Unless Cam's is awful, I don't think Matt Jones is necessarily going to be the guy that starts this year. Yeah,
1: it's a tough one for me to decide on because I'm with you. There's no reason to rust Mac Jones out there. You showed you could be a competitive team with all the opt outs that they had with Cam Newton at the helm last season. But this is why I think Mac Jones is gonna start week one. I think Cam's shoulders done. I think his throwing arms done. And I think in training camp and practice, that's gonna to be too evident to ignore. And I think ultimately, because the way Josh McDaniels truly wants to be able to run his offense, I think Mac Jones will actually be able to overtake. And because they don't have a big financial commitment to Cam, I think there's a decent chance there that won't hold them back either. Now, would I be surprised if Cam got the opportunity to start week one? No, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think there's a at least a 50-50 shot on Mac Jones being the starter of week one, because I just don't think cam can get it done throwing the football anymore. So unless they go in the mindset that they really want to run that type of physical running with the quarterback type of offense, I don't see why you don't just turn this whole thing over to Mac Jones now and get to the offense that you eventually will be running and ultimately want to run anyway from that tree. Um, as far as Mac Jones goes, I he's not going to be a guy that I'm looking at in redraft leagues. He doesn't have the top 12 potential of a Trevor Lawrence of you know, or even top 15, frankly, of a Trevor Lawrence, a Zach Wilson, a Justin Fields, those type of guys because he doesn't have the legs to go with it. And while they have better weapons this year, I'm not expecting the Patriots offense to be a highly prolific offense, but dynasty purposes... I think he's a great pocket passer. I think this is a great fit. I think they will get better offensively. So Mac Jones, I have him ahead of Trey Lance on Dynasty purposes because I actually believe he is going to have an opportunity to be a starter for a very, very long time. Uh, the only other fantasy-relevant player I want to talk about quickly, Ramondre Stevenson. He is going to be completely... His 2021 value is going to be completely contingent on do they keep Sonny Michel or not. Even then, it's still... You have to be the goal-line guy because they still have James White. Damon Harris will be the starter. Ultimately, I don't know if I'm just trying to touch New England backfield, but I do like Stevenson from a dynasty standpoint, because I don't believe Harrison gets a second contract, because they don't pay their running backs anyway. They have to move on from James White eventually, but I do think Stevenson at some point, maybe 2022, will get his shot to start, and ultimately, because of his size, get the touchdown workload. Maybe Bill Belichick looks at him like a LeGarrette Blunt or at least looks to utilize him in that role. So, just speak to me about Stevenson and what you think his pathway is.
0: Um, well, they still have Rex Burkhead somehow on a contract. Still, I think they seem to just always have five running backs. Yeah. Um, I'm. I am concerned that his production, what it's going to be, because we've seen, you know, traditionally for the Patriots, they don't necessarily stick with a running back. Um, I love Stevenson's skill set. I think he's going to be surprising that he can actually catch the ball for a lot of people. The thing that concerns me, though, is that him and Harris, to me, are very similar. And I kind of question how they're going to kind of pigeonhole one of them because one thing we kind of read about Josh McDaniels is he loves to pigeonhole his running backs. Um, he likes to make some guy who, who's the obvious first, second down runner, he likes to make somebody who's obvious, the to pass can get a running back. So and then we have that, you know, just curve ball thrown in there for no reason. Um, I think Stevenson profiles as an actual three down back but I don't know if he ever gets that chance. And as a result, and I'm not really looking for redraft at all, but I think when you look down dynasty-wise, I'm not necessarily reaching for him. While I love his talent, I do kind of question, if he ever get his true shot?
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I do think he gets an opportunity. I just think it might be 2022. All right, the rest of the draft. Christian Barrymore, good pick there in the second round. Ronnie Perkins, the edge player in the third round. Uh, Cameron McGrone, linebacker in the fifth. Joshua Bledsoe, safety in the sixth. Will Sherman, offensive tackle in the sixth. Trey Nixon, I don't think he's anything more in special teams, that's why we're not going to bother to mention him. Round seven was their wide receiver. So, Chris, give me the overall draft grade of the Patriots.
0: I give them a solid B. I really like their depth. I really like. I, I love the Matt Jones pick. I love the Barnmore and Perkins fall to them. Stevenson, I think, like I said, I'm a big fan. I think that he you know, has opportunity to actually be productive. The rest of the draft, I feel like they kind of reached like you know to all of New England seems to do with guys who probably don't draft to free agents in a lot of ways. Um, I think they really needed to add another receiver to their their their, their staple. I think you know, Nelson Aguilar. I don't think it's the answer. What do you um, mean? They paid all
1: these veteran wide receivers an yeah. ungodly amount of money for no reason. Kendrick Bourne's yeah. getting paid Kendrick more Bourne than anybody and, should yeah. ever in his position.
0: No. Hopefully, they continue to use their tight ends because Janu Smith and Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry signings made a lot of sense. The rest of those guys, receiver wise, I'm not big fans of. And you talk about Trey Nixon. I think he has no opportunity to really do anything. Although, hey, you never know the Patriots, somehow that seventh round guy becomes something sometimes. Um, so I do think there's a chance. You'll hear some hype about him. We heard about Tompkins before. We've heard about every other guy who gets drafted late and has a decent practice um so i'm sure we'll get some hype about him at some point but overall i think they really should add one more receiver in his draft
1: yeah i agree i think a b is the correct grade because the the top guys who fell in that situation all right last team arizona cardinals uh i like their pick is david collins but fans perspective let's talk about rondale Moore, wide receiver second round first of all great value that he fell in the second round uh i don't know his 2021 value because it's going to, I think I talked about this on Tuesday a little bit, it's going to greatly, greatly depend on what A.J. Green has left. If he doesn't have anything left, I think there's a real shot here that Rondale Moore could be the starting slot receiver and Christian Kirk gets kicked back out to the perimeter. But I think they're going to want to try to see if they have anything out of A.J. Green first. So I think going into it, I think right now the mentality is this. Of course you have Hopkins on the perimeter, A.J. Green on the other side, and Christian Kirk getting finally getting his opportunity to play in the slot, which I, I want for him because I think Kirk is a better player than what he has shown, but he never gets to play his actual position, which is the slot receiver position. Really not going to be able to do it now with Rondell Moore there, at least especially if A.J. Green's going to have to move out of the picture, which I believe he will sooner rather than later, quite frankly. So let's look at this. 2021, not expecting a whole lot of value, maybe DFS here and there, depending on how that depth chart shakes out. For me, I'm targeting more because of 2022 and beyond, When I'm not expecting A.J. Green to be there, I don't expect Christian Kirk to be there. They're definitely done with the Andy Isabella experiment, thank God. So so DeAndre Hopkins, Rondale Moore, 2022 and on, what do you think about Rondale Moore and his pathway and his long-term value?
0: I think as long as Cliff Kingsbury is the coach, Rondale Moore has a lot of value to me in Arizona. I think that they're the king of the three- to five-yard option route offense. And instead of having Hopkins be that guy all the time, over and over and over again, or Fitzgerald the kind of last couple of years, you have a guy who can actually make that three-yard, or five-yard catch and do something with it. I think they're going to fall in love with that. I think he's going to be a PPR machine moving forward. I think him and collar because so they can see eye to eye, like really see eye to eye. I think that they're going to have be on the same page in a lot of different ways. And I think that when it comes to talent-wise, people seem to forget this guy. Like was you know basically a Tyree Kill just because he's he's a little shorter. But he can do. He's the most explosive player out there. When you see him on the field, guys just can't get a hold of him. And I think you, when you see a guy that can get in and out of his routes and actually a good route runner on top of that, when he's out there on the slot and he has a re, his option routes that are going to be done feature, you're going to see a guy like West Walker on crack, in my opinion. Like you're going to see a guy who's just a base explosive, can take those little four-yard catches and turn them up the field. And I think it's pre- custom built for Arizona's offense um, because of how they kind of attack the field right now. I think that he's they're very I think he has a huge upside going down uh dynasty wise. I think this year you're gonna see some value too. I, I I think AJ Green is the key. Not so much what he has left, but more so is does he play the slot or does he play on the outside? Because if Christian Kirk's in competition in the slot, I think he beats Christian Kirk out. But if it's AJ Green, they're sticking in the slot like Lee Fitzpatrick and he did the kind of big slot thing, then I kind of worry about Rondale Moore because Rondo Moore cannot be an outside receiver. That part I'm not trying to argue at all.
1: Yeah, th- this is a wide receiver corps that we're going to have to watch in training camp to really get a good idea throughout August. That's something that we're going to really keep our eyes on as far as 2021 goes. But I'm with you. Rondale Moore fits his offense. He's a great route runner, is one of the things we love about him. But it's also his explosive ability after the catch that can turn that. Five yard option route into a big play, and if they're able to do that. This offense will finally function the way Kingsbury probably wants it to be able to do so. So, I love Rondale more, not worried about the five seven thing. I think he does uh, create a new precedent that you could actually do it if you have a crazy athletic skill set, he's just special. So again, when guys are outliers, they have to be special to make it. Rondale Moore is special. All right. So for the rest of their draft, Zayvon Collins again, I liked him in the fir- first round. He fits really well what they do. Fourth round, they took Mark Wilson, the cornerback. Uh, Victor DiMuchici, uh the uh, the edge. Tay Godwin, that was a nice value pick there in the sixth round, at the cornerback position. James Wiggins, the safety. Michael Minette, uh, was just a special teams player guy. Chris, give me the draft grade of the Arizona Cardinals.
0: So I give them a C+. Plus. Um, while I love Zavian Collins, and I think that he's now standing talent and he fits their team in a lot of ways, I think that was not their key need. I think they need to address the offensive line in a big, big way. I don't think that uh, Rodney Hudson's the answer, answer to all their problems I think their tackles still stink. I think their guards still can't get much of a push. And I'd really definitely knock them for that. The rest of the guys are nice upside, especially talent-wise guys. I mean, Gallon has, you know, a lot of skills. Marco Wilson tested off the charts. He's a guy who ran four like 4'3". He's tall. He's athletic. Um, so they have a lot of guys who are, are physical specimens on their team. You know, Stephen Collins is 260, but he can play almost three positions in the linebacker core. But I also I also have some questions about how they actually built the team where I credit guys when they actually address their lines when they need to. I think in a big way, Arizona really need to address their offensive line at some point, especially in that first – round where some guys were still on the board and I kind of fault them for not doing so. I agree.
1: The mail's here. All right, Chris, let's get through these questions. Rapid fire. First question up. Derby asked me a dynasty trade. Jamar Chase or Miles Sanders uh, Derby, that really shouldn't be that complicated. Miles Sanders, first of all, where we talked about there's a wide range of outcomes for him, but even if, let's say, best-case scenario, he's the featured back. He's the featured back for, what, maybe one more year after this? Jamar Chase is going to be a superstar wide receiver with a franchise quarterback for the next possible 10. This isn't even a question in my mind, right, Chris?
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I know that people are, have a hard time trying to find a running back sometimes for dynasty purposes, but you got to see what Miles Sanders is going to be kind of moving forward. He's getting to, his, his contract's going to run out soon. I don't know how much of a future he has still in Philadelphia, which makes him very iffy where we know Chase isn't going anywhere anytime soon.
1: I agree. Nate asks, should I trade Taysom Hill for Devontae Parker in a super flex dynasty league? No. I don't like DeVontae Parker's value with the two tackle of Lavoie. It's one of those situations I'm going to have to see it before I believe it before he's even I don't even know how fantasy relevant he's going to be, especially now they've added the extra weapons to it. They don't seem to have a natural connection. Taysom Hill has a chance to be a starter. I don't believe he will be, but even if he's not, we know he's utilized. We know he's an injury away. I'm sticking with Taysom Hill.
0: I know. I'm, I'm taking Parker in that thing. I still take the receiver. I think has even if he moves on from Miami, has opportunity to still be a starter in today's league where I think Decent Hills is a one-trick pony.
1: Could be possible. Patton, should I drop Daryl Henderson for 2-2 Atwell in PPR Dynasty? No. Daryl Henderson is going to be involved, but even more than that, one injury to Cam Akers, and he's the featured back. He's the all-around back. 2-2 Atwell, who knows when this guy actually sees the field? Uh, no, Daryl Henderson's still a good back. He's a young back, and if he winds up moving on from the Rams, I think this is a guy who's going to have an opportunity on another squad somewhere else down the road. So I'm Daryl Henderson all the way here, especially not dropping him for Tutu Atwell. Go ahead, Chris.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm 100% agree with you. I think that you're not not guaranteed that there's not going to be some kind of split in the backfield as it is. I think that we saw that McVay make very much a big effort try to utilize two, if not three, running backs. So I don't see why him and uh, Henderson and um, Acres are are out in the backfield. Utilize. I think Atwell has a lot of things that have to happen for him to be effective or be productive.
1: Spencer, in a redraft PPR league, do you take Calvin Ridley or DK Metcalf? This is a very, this is a very, this is a very good question. This is a very good question. This is a tough question. Uh, PPR league in redraft. I will, I will take DK Metcalf over Calvin Ridley because of the overall upside of a DK Metcalf to be a top-five receiver. Not that I don't think Calvin really can't do it, but let's assume Julio Jones is on the team and Kyle Pitts is there. There are other mouths to feed where DK, his only competition is Tyler Lockett. I would say outside of that, his only other competition is Russell Wilson staying consistent, which can be an issue throughout the entirety of the season. But we've seen DK Metcalf be a guy who can consistently single-handedly win you weeks time and time and time again. Well, Calvin Ridley's a very good consistent receiver. If I you know if I want to floor play, I might be going Calvin Ridley because of his consistency, but I'm going to take the guy that I can just win me weeks, win me a championship on his own and has an unnatural skill set and going into his third year by the way, I don't see we've, we've seen the best of DK Metcalf yet. So I'm going to lean towards DK Metcalf. But this is a very good tight question. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really hard because of the PPR factor. I think Calvin Ridley's right. really going to be one of those guys who's going to get sixty-eight catches. Now maybe it's only for seventy or eighty yards, but I do think his role in the offense, as you kind of see him in the Atlanta, is going to be that underneath kind of route short guy. While we kind of have, they, we kind of see what DK is. They they like set him down the field. Um, he doesn't get the volume necessarily, and doesn't necessarily get utilized very close to the line of scrimmage. So I. I'd probably go with DK Metcalf just because of the touchdown factors. I think the touchdowns wound up being more and actually kind of breaking the the fact that Ridley has more catches throughout the season. But I think DK's touchdown production will kind of outweigh that. Um, But that's a tough one. That's a really tough one.
1: It's it's gonna be close between those two. It's gonna be an interesting conversation to have throughout the out throughout the summer. So that was our mailbag questions. We have a couple of polls I want to talk about quickly before we wrap up the show. Devontae Adams, I asked this question and I was kind of surprised by the answer I got, frankly. Is Devontae Adams a top ten wide receiver in PPR leagues without Aaron Rodgers? Fifty-seven percent said yes, forty-three percent said no. I disagree with the public on this one. I do. Really? Because I look at guys like Terry McLaurin, I look at other guys. Keenan Allen very good very very Keenan Allen before Justin Herbert. Very very good wide receivers. Number ones on their teams but not top 10 guys because the quarterback play is so crappy. I have a hard time believing because if it's not Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to assume for now it's Jordan Love. I don't believe in a PPR league Devonte Adams can be the number one receiver. It can be a top 10, excuse me, the top 10 receiver with Jordan Love at the quarterback even though he would still be targeted like crazy there would still be a high floor. I think he'd be a high end wide receiver too. I think maybe he could sneak into the top 12. But that's why I posed the question at a top 10. So technically he could still be a wide receiver one in top in in 12 man leagues, but I don't think he I don't think he is a top 10 guy without Aaron Rodgers assuming the quarterback is Jordan Love. Now, let's put it this way. If they make a trade to the, to the Broncos, let's say, and they Put Teddy Bridgewater as part of that package and he winds up going to Green Bay and he winds up being the starting quarterback, then maybe I would change my tune. So for me, largely this is part on the idea that Jordan Love would wind up being the starting quarterback if Aaron Rodgers is gone. So go ahead.
0: All right. So I'm not as big as Jordan Love hater as you seem to be, but I also want to point out Brett Hudley. I definitely think hopefully we both can agree Jordan Jordan Love's better or should be yeah. better than both Brett Hudley. Has
1: more and, of a skill um, set anyway.
0: Yes. And we saw Devontae Adams be highly productive with Hudley as still as his quarterback. I still think he can finish definitely in the top 10. No, will he be number one? No. But will he finish the top 10? I think absolutely. I think you should look at that team and how much of a target share he's going to see from week to week. And I think you're going to even see, because it's a younger quarterback, you're going to have him featured even more in a lot of senses. Where we see a lot of times that, that young quarterback locks on that first receiver, locks on the number one receiver, and kind of forces the ball to him. we kind of saw see Robinson being better this year as a result of having a young quarterback. I think you're going to see something very similar um, I don't think he'll be better than Aaron Rod- without Aaron Rodgers, but I think he will. Necess- he will definitely not fall out of the top ten.
1: Uh, with, look, the volume will still be there. I don't question that part. But will they? Will the offense score as many points? No. Will he get as many touchdowns? No. Will he get as many big plays? No. So it's gonna appear he's gonna have to get even more volume. I believe with a quarterback not named Aaron Rodgers to be top ten. I just look at how many receivers out there that are very good, but because of their quarterback situations are not top ten receivers, I view Devontae Adams in a similar way because of look
0: that. Look at look at DeAndre Hopkins though when he was in in Houston and how many different quarterbacks he kind of went through, and he was still productive. So no, I no, I'm not it,
1: saying it's impossible. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Is that is definitely and that's a good comparison as well to, uh, to your point. Uh, last one I want to talk about. Last poll, this is a big one for me. What rookie receiver will have the best 2021? I completely disagree with the public on this. I think they're getting wrapped up too much in the name than the actual situation. Jamar Chase, 60%. Jalen Waddell, 11%. I threw in Amos St. Brown because he's a name that I'm going to want to bring up a lot. He only got 5% of the vote. I'm not surprised by that, but I I just wanted to throw him in there. And then the one that I think is going to be is Devonta Smith, only 24% of the vote as far as the best rookie for 2021. Jamar Chase, guys... He would have to become the number one target on the Bengals this year when you have a Tyler Boyd and a T. Higgins. That's not going to happen. I I mean, at most, it's kind of an even split. But Tyler Boyd isn't going to go anywhere. He's not chopped liver. T. Higgins is a very good wide receiver. He's got three guys to share with as far as targets go. It's no guarantee he's the number one target on that team. Will he be good? Yeah. Yeah. Do I think he's a wide receiver three, possibly low in wide receiver two? Maybe if he explodes off right away. But he is not in the position of a Devonta Smith with the volume and the floor and the ceiling potential of a Devonta Smith for 2021. The public's wrong here on this one. Guy Chris, what do you think?
0: This is PPR. Yes. Okay. Um, I think that you have to go. Yeah, I, I think the public's wrong on this one too. Um, I would probably pick Smith. The one guy that I'm kind of very curious that doesn't seem to be talked about is Waddle. While I know that there's other mouths to feed in Miami, if he plays the slot in, in Miami, he's going to see the ball a lot. And I think that he has an opportunity with one of those guys that come out, like, has a really good season. So I know you're Smith, Love, and I can't argue anything. He's definitely number one receiver on the outside for the Eagles. Definitely has the most upside. I think Chase is the guy that you kind of – he's going to be productive, yes, but you do have other mouths to feed, to your point. I think when he looks at it, to me, the two guys that kind of have the most opportunity to try to shine will be Smith and, and Hugs, Suggs. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I agree with that as well. That's going to do it for our show. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. We're continuing on our NFL draft recap. So we'll do the same thing, same formula. Make sure you get your mailbag questions in at belly up MDFF show. Check out the show. Replay the show there or go to your favorite pod streaming app. We're available to you on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you like to go. The MD's fantasy football show is only, always widely available to you. Make sure to follow the player news notifications because we got some, we got some, football stuff that's coming out that's gonna be really important for your fantasy team. So at Belly up MDFF show again, you follow me and Chris there. We'll be back tomorrow night on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network for the DC's DFS challenge show that we like to do on Saturday nights from 9 30 to 10 30. And of course Chaz will be joining that show as well. Chris, anything you gotta say off before we sound off?
0: No, I think this is we're finally here. We're finally getting to talk about football. It's exciting and we're gonna have rookie camp in no time and here we go.
1: It's 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 crunch time time of the year. Getting really it's getting warm and it's getting exciting. We'll see you guys next week. Everybody have a great weekend.
2: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ha ha in my dentist's office.